Well, hello, Pastor Matt here. Just want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in to this message. We here at New Life Baptist Church hope that in making these resources available to the public, that we'll help to edify the body of Christ at large, and that you personally will increase in your knowledge of God, leading to a deeper love for Him. Now, what you're about to listen to is a teaching lesson from our Wednesday night study series entitled, What is God Like? A Study of the Attributes of the Almighty. So let's go ahead and turn over to John chapter 4. And then it's going to be verse 23 and 24. John 4, 23 and 24. And I'd just like to remind everyone, for those of you who aren't aware yet, uh, we do have our messages online now. Uh, Really hope is just that if you have some time and you want to go back and listen to something again and study it a little bit deeper or in situations like tonight, if you can't be here, that way you don't have to miss out. Um, So just go to our website, nlbcwolferth.org. You can also see it on our Facebook. We upload it there, so you can always have that at your fingertips. John 4, 23 and 24. If you would stand one more time as we read the Word of God. Verse 23 of chapter 4. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Let's pray. Gracious God, we come before you this evening, Lord, and our Hearts are heavy, certainly, for our brothers and sisters who are um, going through various trials tonight, whether it just be sickness, God, or or tragedy striking in their home, whatever it is, Father, our hearts go out with to them. Lord, And we just ask that you send your comforting spirit to them right now, Lord, and that you be with them, um, and that though that they can't be here tonight with us, Lord, that they can know that you're infinite and you're everywhere. And there's not a place that we can go that you're not there, Father. So I ask that you fill them with that confidence and that comfort, the comfort that that brings, Lord. And that for us tonight, Lord, as we begin to take on the impossible task of of trying to understand what you're like and, and learn about your attributes so that we can know you at a deeper level so we can love you more and serve you in, in, in the right way, Father, and worship you in spirit and truth. I pray that you reveal these things to us from your scripture. I pray that you open up your, our minds and our hearts, Lord, to receive from you tonight, to hear from you through your word tonight, Lord, for your glory and your honor. In the name of Jesus, amen. You can be seated. John 4, 24. All right, so giving you some context of this in case it's not immediately, um, in case you don't immediately recognize what's going on in this uh, story here that we read. Um, Jesus is at the well. This is the story of the woman at the well. 
And, um, you know, he's kind of telling her about what her life is like, and she's astonished, and she kind of argues with him about uh, where worshiping is taking place, and Jesus clarifies what worship it really is about and what it's like and how it takes place. And he tells her uh, that we worship in spirit and in truth. And then he goes on to say that God is spirit. What does that mean? That's going to be the topic of our discussion tonight is the attribute of God's spirituality, that God is spirit. Now what we need to understand in saying that God is spiritual is uh, not to say that he's into you know, New Age mysticism or that he himself is religious, but that he is a spirit. So this is also not to be confused with um, the conversation of the Holy Spirit. We're not here to talk about the Holy Spirit and his ministry. That's a different topic for a different day. We're focusing on the fact that God is a spirit, and that is S, little, little lowercase s, not a capital S. He is a spirit. Now, in understanding this, we're going to look at three different aspects of what that means and what the implications are of God being a spirit. So I'll give them to you quickly, and then we'll go back and uh, visit them each individually. So first of all, in God being spirit, that means that he is immaterial. That is to mean that he's not made up of atoms or cells or flesh or bone or blood or anything else or any other type of matter. He is immaterial. Now this is all explaining that God is spirit. Okay, So these are not separate attributes per se. What we're doing is we're explaining that God is spirit. The second thing to consider in it is that he's invisible, so he cannot be seen. That was pretty self-explanatory. We understand what that means by God being invisible. And the third thing that we will look at tonight is that he is infinite. So he is in no way limited by time or space or matter like we are. We are limited by all three of those things. So God is spirit, which means he is immaterial, he is invisible, and he is infinite. So we're going to look at each one of these individually. So let's start with God is immaterial. Now for those of you who recognize that word, the primary definition of immaterial actually means unimportant, uh, but that is not what we're saying about God, obviously. God is not unimportant. We're saying that he's immaterial in the sense that he is a spirit. He is essence. He is intangible. Now, you might also be thinking um, about what the Bible says about God actually having parts and body parts. See, in saying that he's immaterial, we're saying that he does not have a physical body. He's a spirit. He doesn't have a body. He doesn't have a hand or elbows or, or kneecaps. He doesn't have these things. I know that you might think about the different scriptures all throughout the Bible that talk about God and his, his eyes, his ears, 
his mouth, his hand, his arm. For example, Second Chronicles 16.9, it says that the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro. The eyes of the Lord. Isaiah 1.20 says that the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah 41.10, God mentions his righteous right hand. So what gives? How can God be immaterial, which means that he doesn't have a physical body, but he's just a spirit, but then the Bible talks about him having a mouth and eyes and, and ears and a face. What gives is the Bible contradicting itself. No. Short answer, no. This is what we call, are you ready for this really long Scrabble word? This is anthropomorphism. Those of you who remember school, you might remember what that means. Anthropomorphism. I see a lot of heads shaking like, ah, that is way too many syllables. That is almost a song worth of syllables. Anthropomorphism. Here's what that means, okay? Uh, it means that we attribute human characteristics to God. That's what anthropomorphism means. We're attributing human characteristics to God. We do this with dogs sometimes, don't we? Uh, we do this with various um, things that we're trying to explain. We attribute different human attributes and characteristics for us to be able to understand it. So what that means is that God, in his infinite wisdom, in writing the Bible, in, in putting forth the Bible on paper, all the words of God on paper, he knew that we could not understand what it meant that he's immaterial or that he is spirit or that he's invisible. So he attributed human characteristics so that we could understand it. So here's what that means, is that he, whenever it talks about God having a mouth, we're not saying that God actually has a mouth, but what we're trying to explain is that God speaks. Do we understand that? Whenever we mention the ears of the Lord, what we're talking about is that God hears everything. He doesn't actually have ears, but he hears everything. When Scripture mentions the right hand or the right arm of God, it's talking about the might and the power and the strength of God. So he doesn't actually have a hand or an arm, but he's powerful. And so that's how we describe it, is just with human characteristics. God is so mega, so big, so other, so not like us, that he has to stoop down to our level. How many of you have ever talked to a baby? Let me see some hands. Has anyone talked to a baby? What do you do? I need to hear an example. Goo goo gaga. Got it. Exactly right. What God is doing with these anthropomorphic traits is essentially telling us, goo goo gaga, you can't understand my level, so I need to get down to your level. And it's essentially baby speak for God because he's so big and so wise and so incomprehensible that we can't understand it in its fullness and in its purity. Are you following? Is that clear as mud? 
That's what we're looking for. So God is not made up of matter, but he has created everything. He has created matter. Now, this is, I understand, this is a challenging thought. We talked about early on that we're going to have to stretch our brains, and this is, we might leave here a couple of times like, man, this is hard to understand, because guess what? We're talking about God. If we could list off all of God's characteristics and we could understand them perfectly, he wouldn't be God. The fact that he's God is exactly why we can't grasp all of this. But what we want to do is kind of shed some light on his attributes so that we can stand back and just say, wow, wow, he is amazing. So though God is immaterial, that is not to imply that he's not personal. He's not impersonal. God is a person. He's a person who can be known, who beckons us even to know him. Psalm 27.8 says it this way. He says, the writer is writing, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. God is telling him, seek me. Seek me. He wants to be known. In Exodus 10, whenever he's talking to Moses, he he tells him in explaining what he's going to do to Pharaoh, he says, I'm going to do all of these things that you may know that I am the Lord. He wants to be known. We've talked often of Jeremiah 29, 13, that says, where God says that you will seek me and you will find me. When you seek for me with your whole heart, you will seek for me and you will find me. That's a God who wants to be known. He wants to be known. He wants to be in communion with you personally. Not just the preacher, not just the pastor, not just a missionary, not just televangelists. Every one of you, he wants to know you and you to know him personally. Would you believe it that God has emotions? He's not some sort of cosmic sociopath who's emotionally disconnected in all that he does in the world. God has emotions. He feels. He's not stoic. He's not operating the events of the world as though the world were a chessboard and he's just mindlessly, numblessly moving chess pieces around. No, God feels. God rejoices. God is angered. God loves. God hates. God takes pleasure in. God is grieved. God is pleased. God sets his affections upon people. God has a will. God chooses. God purposes. He determines. All of this points to the fact that he is a person. He's immaterial. He doesn't have a physical likeness, but he is a person. He's not made up of flesh and bones like people are, but he is a person and can be known personally. Our next thing to look at is that God is invisible. God is invisible. 
In John 1.18, he says that God has not been seen. In Colossians 1.15, and we're going to look at this this coming Sunday, but Colossians 1.15, he calls him the invisible God. He says of Jesus that he is the image of the invisible God. In 1 Timothy 6.16, it says that no man can see him. He's invisible. He can't be seen. Now, let's say as an aside, don't listen to anyone who would tell you they have seen God. There are a lot of people out there who have a lot of claims. No one has seen God. The Bible tells us so. So God being invisible, it means that there is no part of him left out wherever he is. So think about it this way. You've heard the term or the phrase, uh, one foot in, one foot out. So we could physically go to the back of the room and stand with one foot in the sanctuary and one foot in the hallway. Our whole body wouldn't be in one room, right? We would be split between two different rooms. We wouldn't be split in the sense that we're cut in half, But we would be split in the sense that I've got one foot in the hallway and I have one foot that's in the sanctuary. God has never had that problem. Everywhere that God is, all of God is there. Because he's invisible. He's not constrained by physical matter. He's immaterial. Remember, he doesn't have flesh and bones. He doesn't have that kind of problem. So everywhere that God is, he's all the way there. That's going to come into play later on as we start to unravel the rest of his attributes and kind of flesh some of this out and understand. That's a really big deal that we understand that because that means that everywhere that God is, His love is there. His mercy is there. His grace is there. His joy, His peace, His kindness. All of those things are there. Everywhere that He is, He's never left His cell phone and keys behind at home. He does not have a physical form, but His presence can be felt. He's invisible. We can't see Him. We can't put our arms around Him but we can certainly sense his nearness to us. God is infinite. Now this one we're going to spend a little bit more time on because there's some really far-reaching implications in understanding that God is infinite. So I wanted to share this with you. I thought this was really cool. I googled infinite definition. Just typed it into Google because I wanted to see what the English definition of infinite was. I know what it means, okay? Don't look at me crazy. I understand what infinite means. My wife looking at me real crazy. But whenever I typed in Google definition, what came back was this. Limitless or endless in space, extent or size, impossible to measure or calculate. But the really cool part was their example. And this is from Google. The example of infinite was the infinite mercy of God. 
Even Google knows. That's pretty cool. But let's look at that definition, limitless or endless in space, extent, or size. Impossible to measure or calculate. That is to say that he has no end. But neither do his attributes. God is infinite. That means in his entirety and in all that he is, he's infinite. In his love, it's infinite love. In his joy, it's infinite joy. In his peace, it's infinite peace. Even in his righteous anger, it's infinite anger. God is infinite in his entirety. Everything that he is, he's infinite. He is in no way limited by time, space, or matter. Now, by contrast, we are. We are limited by all of those things. We're limited by time. Man, I, I know a lot of y'all will laugh at this, but I can already feel I'm getting older. I think I almost hyperextended my shoulder in the back room just trying to plug in my laptop. I was just, I'm sorry, babe, you, you married an old man. <laughs> but we're limited by time. We have 24 hours in the day. Sometimes it feels like we have 24 minutes in the day, doesn't it? Because we're limited by time. We don't have infinite time, but God does. He exists outside of this. He doesn't have the problems that we have down here. We're limited by space. That's both physically, right? We, we only have so much space to fit things in. We only have so many storage rooms to put things in. But we could also consider that as we only have so much life to give. We only have so much love to give people. We only have so much uh, joy to share with people. We only have so much wisdom to share with people. But God doesn't have that problem. His wisdom is infinite. All that he has and everything that he can give you is infinite. He is unlimited. He is boundless. He is interminable. He is immeasurable. He is innumerable. He is immense. And by contrast, we are limited we are small, we are puny, we are bite-sized, we are microscopic, we are sub-microscopic whenever we are compared next to the Almighty God. We're specks. We are just little bitty specks. Everything that God does is effortless. It has taken Him zero exertion to keep the planets in motion, to keep the sun burning, to keep the sun rising and setting every single day, to keep all of our lungs ex inhaling and exhaling and all of our hearts pumping blood. It has taken God zero effort to do all of this. He is infinite in his power. Now this is nearly impossible for us to grasp because everything around us runs out, doesn't it? Everything runs out. 
We put gas in the car. We eventually need to put gas again. 14 minutes later, it feels like, right? We get paid. We got bills to pay. They run out. Even our savings accounts, even our 401ks, even everything, it runs out eventually. The day, it runs out. Eventually, it's tomorrow. The year, it runs out. Eventually, it's next year. Everything runs out, but God never does. He's never had that problem. Nothing about him experiences that problem. But God knew that we would have a difficult time grasping this, so he created a universe. He knew that we would be grasping at straws to understand his infinitude. So he created an unsearchable universe to give us a physical image of just how unfathomably big he is. Have you ever looked at pictures of space? You can't even see, you have no earthly idea where that ends. Scientists have been baffled for years, forever, wondering what's out there. What's out there? We build bigger and bigger telescopes. Still, we haven't scratched the surface of what's out there. He placed galaxies out there that we've never heard of. He put, placed black holes there that we still can't explain. He made the oceans so deep that we still haven't reached the bottom of the oceans of our own earth. He did all of these things to say something about himself. That he's that big. He made that universe. Imagine that if... God made something that incredible. If he made a sun that is burning so hot that if we were to get a few degrees closer to it, we would just burn to a crisp. He made that. How much bigger is he? How much more powerful is he? He made everything that we can't understand, yet he understands it all. He knows the inner workings of everything. And he did all of this to say something about himself. He made the universe. The universe that we will never understand fully. That we will never grasp in its entirety. That we will never be able to search out. We have planets in our own solar system that we kicked out of our solar system. They're too far away, and they're in our solar system. Rest in peace, Pluto. Pluto used to be a planet. Y'all might not know that back there. But Pluto, we used to have a place called Pluto. It was a planet. It was the coolest planet that we had. But it's because it was cold. Get it? No. Okay. No one. <laughs> That's how big he is, though. He placed that planet... And that he stretches all of that out within his hand. It's nothing to him. He exerted no energy in creating all of this. You might want to write these passages down that just talk about how incredible God is. In 1 Kings 8.27, you might as well just read that whole chapter, but Solomon is, is praying to God because he just built the, the temple. 
And Solomon is praising God and in understanding God's grandeur and how incredible and how big he is, Solomon says in his prayer, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. Solomon is understanding how puny he is. How puny this temple that he built for him is. Daniel 4, verse 34 through 35. King Nebuchadnezzar has lost his mind. God literally took his sanity away from him. And King Nebuchadnezzar is out in the field grazing like a cow. He took his sanity away from him. And then it says, King Nebuchadnezzar says, And then I looked up to the sky. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? King Nebuchadnezzar had a personal encounter with just how mighty this God is. And look at what he says. All of the people, all of the inhabitants of this earth are as nothing next to you. One of probably my favorite verses in Psalm, in the Psalms, it's chapter 8, verse 3 and 4. The psalmist writes, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? I love that. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? Have you ever looked up at the sky and just felt tiny? Look at how far away these stars are. Look at the moon. I couldn't even just reach the moon. Yet God has placed all of that there. He's placed you right here. And he cares about you. That's what that verse is saying. Even though when I'm amazed at how all of this looks and I'm just astonished by your might, God. I am realizing, what am I that God cares about me? Who am I? I'm no one. I'm nothing. I'm just a tiny little person on a tiny pebble in the universe that is incomprehensibly big and vast, yet God knows me by name. Wrap your head around that one. He knows you by name and personally, personally took it upon himself to send his son 
to die in your place that you could come to know him. Folks, that is an infinite love. That is an infinite level of grace and mercy. Though we are so small, though we are so seemingly insignificant, this immaterial, invisible, infinite God has set his affections upon his elect. We cannot see him, but he is always with us. We cannot physically touch him, but he is near. We cannot grasp him, but he holds us in the palm of his hand. I hope that in hearing what God is like and in understanding what he's like, I hope that we feel our finiteness, our tininess, our little bittiness next to God. Not so that we can feel just down on ourselves, but so that we can look back at him and just say, wow, that God, that same God takes interest in me. Not because of I'm so valuable in and of myself, but because when he looks at me, for those of us who are in Christ, he sees Christ. He doesn't see your past. He doesn't see your sins. He doesn't see your constant failures. You are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That is a God worth your worship. That is a God worth your pursuit. That is a God worth your attention. That is a God worth your lifelong pursuit of. And the last thing to be said about this is, what are we so worried about? When we consider God, when we consider his greatness, when we consider how infinite he is and how vast he is, and that yet he in his vastness still takes it upon himself to love you personally by name, what are we worried about? We get so focused on our day-to-day, on the things that are happening in our life. Look, and I understand those things matter. They're relevant to us. That's not to discount it entirely, but instead to say, get your mind off of the things down here on earth and set your mind on things above where God is. When we focus on him, when we look at him, instead of anything else down here, all the cares of this world grow strangely dim. And we start to realize that, man, it's not that bad. I serve a big God. I serve a great God. And he is infinite in his love towards me. Let's stand. We'll pray and be dismissed. Oh God, we come before you tonight, Lord, just humbled, humbled by how great you are, Lord. God, I pray that you press into all of our hearts and our minds 
how big you are, Lord, how great you are, how incredible you are, how infinite you are. That we would worship you, Lord, in spirit and in truth. That we would serve you, Lord, with joy in our hearts. That we would surrender to you with a smile on our face. That even when we're faced with suffering, God, that our eyes would be on you, knowing that you are greater than anything we face on this earth. Knowing that one day we will see you. Knowing that one day we will spend the rest of our days with you. And everything that we go through on this earth will have been worth it. God, help us as we go from this place and we finish out our work week, Lord. Help us to set our mind on things above where you are, where you are seated on the throne firmly in control of all things. But that in that, Lord, that we would know that even though you're on the throne, you're still right here with us. And you have promised that you would never leave us or forsake us, God. We thank you for this. We praise you and we worship you for who you are. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Grace, peace, and mercy with you all.